Welcome to church. Today I want to talk about the word truth. And in our cultural moment, I know there's a lot of passion and emotion surrounding the word truth. Don't tell me about truth because I'm living my own truth. But John 1.14 says this, the word, that's capital W, so who is that? That's Jesus. Jesus, God put on skin and bone, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and, what's that word? Truth. That Jesus is grace, which we love, but Jesus is also truth. And just like grace, I believe that truth is a person even before it's a concept. I'm convinced the reason people get so triggered by the word truth is because they don't know grace. For truth without grace is mean. However, grace without truth is meaningless. And so my, my goal and my mission today is to preach a grace-filled message about what I believe to be a resistance to God's ultimate truth. And if I say anything today that challenges you and part of you doesn't like it, here's what I wanna say to you. Pay attention to which part of you that is because oftentimes the truth that offends the flesh can be the same truth that awakens and rejuvenates your soul. Like a popsicle once again in a hot room. You don't have to believe what we believe to belong at this church. Regardless of who you are, no matter your story or your past or your principles or your opinion, you are loved and you are valued at Red Rocks. With that said, today is my humble mission to show you why letting God, truth, God be truth is the only way to completely live free in every part of your life. That's, I have wrestled with this all week and checked my heart all week and, and um, I'm just so glad the week's over. And it's now time to just give the message and then go enjoy this amazing day. But I, I just really believe God has a word for us and the title of this message is called Truth in a Relative World. Truth in a Relative World. So God, we love you. Lead us to your truth today. Thank you for being good. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> All right, well, back in college, <clears throat> I remember to this day, I was sitting on the couch at 835 16th Street in Boulder, Colorado, the ultimate party house, and I was, I was watching the world's strongest man on ESPN 5 or 6. Have you ever seen this show, The World's Strongest Man? You might not know this about me, but 12 years ago, that was my career path. Until I met Jesus, God ruined all my plans and made me a pastor, and that really to this day is the only reason I'm not currently the strongest man in the world. You're giggling, that's rude. Is it because of how I look? Because it kind of feels like it. Numbers are, records are made to be broken and the numbers are probably different now, but 12 years ago, the strongest man in the world could bench press 1,150 pounds. Like that is, I don't know if you're even really thinking about how crazy that is. That is 650 more than what I bench. This is just, I mean, it's absurdity. It's crazy, it's impressive. Not, however, as impressive as his wife, who bench presses 410 pounds. I mean, roughly six to seven times what Ethan benches. Again, this is just, I mean, this is out of this world. This is, 
This is Thor kind of numbers. This is crazy. It's impressive. They have kids. And I don't know what their kids bench, okay? But I'm just going to take a guess and say they don't get picked on a whole lot at school. They're not getting their lunch money stolen. I would even guess they probably walk a little bit different on the playground in light of who their parents are. And in the same way, we are children of the most powerful being that has ever existed, ever. Daniel chapter four says, right now our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he wants, whenever he wants to do it. And nobody can push him around or take him to court if they're unhappy with the way he's running his universe. A God who made us, a God who saved us, a God who calls us his kids, and we too should be walking with a little bit of holy swagger on the playground with a reverence and a humility that his ways are higher and he knows better and a trusting confidence that not only is he a father who is the end and the beginning and everything in between, but he's also good. David said this in Psalm 8. Look at the splendor in the skies and God's creative genius in the heavenlies. He says, when I consider the moon and the stars like jewels in their settings and I take all of this in, my heart just beats a little bit faster as I realize that you are the fascinating artist who has fashioned all of it and in light of all of this, I can't help but just ask myself, in light of this cosmic glory, who the heck am I that you love me? When I consider everything, what is man that you are mindful of us? He even goes on to say it in Psalm 37 where he says, all you had to do was speak and your voice created constellations all across the universe. All you had to do was open your mouth. You just breathed and constellations and galaxies come flying out of your mouth at the speed of light and fill the universe. And David, looking up at this night sky, doesn't know what we know about the universe. He's just looking at the Milky Way galaxy, our galaxy, with no idea that beyond it are 80 billion more galaxies, most of which put ours to shame. He is big. In Romans 8, Paul says, who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? In other words, God knows everything. He numbers all the stars. He calls all the stars by name. He could tell you right now, what every electron, proton, and neutron is up to on every atom, on every square inch of every single one of those stars. He, he knows because he designed the gravity constants of every planet in every galaxy across the entire universe, which by the way, to this day, is still expanding out in the speed of light in every single direction and has been ever since he said, let there be light. He knows all of it and he made it from nothing. Artists need a canvas and paint. Carpenters need supplies and material. God needs nothing. He simply speaks and it exists. And therefore there is nothing, not a, a square centimeter of the entire universe he does not rightfully stand over and call mine. He is big, and yet so often, if you're like me, I feel like it's my place to sort of counsel him on how he runs the universe. Hey God, um, I know you're like omniscient and omnipotent and omnipresent and all of that stuff, but I'm just not quite sure you're seeing all of this over here. Could I maybe just recommend one or two or, or, or 20 things as if God is in heaven and is, and, and is gonna look down and go, oh my me. <laughs> well, thank me that I made you, bud. <laughs> because even in all my infinite wisdom and knowledge, I have been stumped and puzzled on this one for about eight millennia. <laughs> hey, Gabriel, spirit, get over here. 
Doug's got an answer for that thing we were trying to solve. Jesus, come here. Doug, tell Jesus what you told me. You articulate little guy. We love you so much. I love, it just does my heart so much good. It brings me so much joy to imagine God talking to me like that. In reality, it's probably more like, oh, hey, hey, bud. Oh, I love you so much. Heart's my heart, how much I love you. But you can't even remember to floss every day. We're talking about the universe, and so how about you, how about you master that? Or better yet, don't master it, just floss for three days in a row. Do that, and then you can come and counsel me about the universe and coach me about truth. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who takes him to court? Who are we that he loves us as much as he does? I stood under a clear night sky in the middle of the Rockies just a few days ago. Had one of those moments where I just encountered and experienced all of its imposing grandeur. And it felt so good to feel so small. Not insignificant, small. As your God perspective gets bigger and you realize the Milky Way is no mystery to him, the mountains do what he says. There is nobody like this God and there will never be. He is the universe's strongest dad. He is good. He is grace and truth. And when you come home, so to speak, and yield to it, that is where you begin to live free. He is grace. He is also truth. I want to show you today why that's just as good and why that combination is everything. Truth in a relative world. So number one, my first point is this. Truth has to come from one source. And I'm speaking more on behalf of logic and reason for this point, this first point. Jesus likened truth to light. That was one of his metaphors. He called himself light to a dark world, that he is the right side up creator who came as truth and he wasn't even recognized by an upside down creation that he made. This is John, this is John 1, 9 and 10. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. In other words, there is somewhat of an unaware resistance to truth, the truth that wants to set us free. And unaware, like you might be staring truth right in the eyes and have no clue. This was me for 19 years of my life. Still feel like it's me on some days. So I am operating under the assumption with this that there has to be something called ultimate truth. In other words, truth had to be here before we got here. Truth had to be true before you believed it was true. It'll still be true even if you no longer believe it. It's kind of like gravity, it's just true. Gravity doesn't care what you think. You cannot believe in it. It's still real, it's still true. There has to be an ultimate source of truth. And so right here, we have a light. And here's how I wanna explain this to you. If there is light here, then that means there must be a source of that light, of the power. Now you might have to follow an extension cable for a while, but eventually, if you keep following the breadcrumbs, you will get to the source. You'll get to the source. 
So here's where I'm going with this. All of us know, and I'm saying there's a source that gives light to everything and everyone like John chapter one would say. That truth has an ultimate source. Because all of us would, would, would believe in right and wrong. We believe in good and evil. So my question for you, this is a bit of a thinker, why, like where did that come from? Why is that right? And why is that wrong? Like what standard are you referring to when you say that? Where did that come from? For instance, every person ever, you, me, every, like Christians, atheists, everybody, all of us believe and agree murder is evil. So my question is, okay, why? Why do you believe that? Why does everybody? And you might say, well, it's just an obvious fact, man. And I would say, okay, where does that obvious fact come from? And you might say, I mean, that's just, that's just a moral. It's just a virtue. Okay, what is that connected to? Keep following the breadcrumbs. Where does this come from? Eventually, you have to get back to a, to a source. There is some kind of invisible moral standard out there somewhere that everybody on this planet seems to know about. And there was never a committee once upon a time that got together and decided all of this for us. There was never a, a committee that said, okay, all in favor of, uh, of murder, are we calling that evil? Okay, uh, all in favor, evil, okay, good. And uh, abuse and, and, and rape and stealing and all these terrible things, are we, is that evil? Okay, all in favor, okay, okay, good. Okay, now how about the, the good things? Well, like being kind to other people, that's probably good. And uh, maybe giving to, to, to the poor, that's probably good. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe uh, helping little ladies across the street and getting helpless kittens that are terrified out of trees. Are we, is this all in favor of that being good. Okay, says everybody everywhere, but why? Because that committee never happened. So why do all people from all cultures on every continent agree on that and nobody had to be taught it? C.S. Lewis would say, human beings all over the earth have this curious idea they ought to behave in a certain way and nobody can really get rid of it. But where does that come from? What's the source, this source of truth that gives light to everything else? Because it's gotta come from somewhere. Right and wrong have to lead us back to something or someone whose ways and thoughts are higher than ours. What I'm saying is a God who is the source of ultimate truth, a God who was here before we got here, a God who is that standard. There can be no Good, there can be no evil without God. There can be no right, there can be no wrong. There can be no light, there can be no darkness. Oh, you can, you can murder and steal without God being real. You just can't call it evil. Because you, you have no standard or source to point to and go, it's evil because of that. Or it's not because of, because of this. There must be a, a truth source some beautiful design, a moral code out there somewhere beyond the sun that someone or something created and then somehow told us about. And I love Romans 2.15 and how it just ties that up. It says, they demonstrate that God's law is written on their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right are doing right. So logic and reason would tell us there, there has to be some kind of transcendent, ultimate truth. 
If there were not, there would be no light to light everything else up. You cannot just create truth. Talking to myself here, 34 years old, you don't be 34 in God's universe and just design truth and decide it for yourself. Adam and Eve tried this in the garden at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil where original sin flipped God's creation upside down. It wasn't a magical apple that was the power source. The power for that was in a decision based on their feelings to redefine for themselves that this is right and this is wrong apart from the source. In other words, the lie they fell for was forget God's truth, let's live yours. And the lie we still are being fed today is this, your feelings are facts. And if you feel it, well then, that must be true, so live accordingly. And if there was any evidence that that was working, I mean, I, I sit in so many pastoral meetings and, and just an observer of humanity, and if there was any evidence that was working, I wouldn't be preaching this message. But there might be something to this ultimate source who has a name. Because I think, man, if sin has flipped so much of me upside down, then why would my gut instinct when I feel stuff be to just trust it immediately? Why would I just right away, I mean, living just according to what you feel all the time, I believe that fundamentally dehumanizes you. Because animals do that. It's instinct. But you have the imago Dei in you. You have the image of the invisible God alive and at work within you, which means you have a direct connection and access to the power source, to this transcendent truth, to this personal God who is both grace and truth, to the light that lights up everything else that can illuminate on my feelings and reveal to me and show me, okay, that, that's, there's something to that one so we can build that as a foundation of your life. But these over here, there is zero reason to compromise because of those feelings because while they feel real, feelings are real. It doesn't mean they're true. A few days ago, I felt it. I was driving to work, man. I felt it. I was listening to the beeps, windows down, and um, I was. And uh, I just felt it. I knew, man. I left the stove on because I was making cheesy scrambled eggs for Kinsley for breakfast because I'm I mean, I'm, a, I'm an amazing dad. We don't talk about that a lot, but, um, but I knew, man. I, I felt it. I was like, the, the stove's on. So I, I drove all the way back home, and it was off. That feeling was real, but it wasn't true. Jeremiah says, man, our hearts, they deceive us all the time. So I'm leading mine to the, to the source of truth. I've got access to, to something greater than my feelings. Don't follow your heart, follow Jesus and lead your heart, lead your feelings to the God who, who knows them and can shine a light on them. See, this is why truth, this is the common misconception that I want redeemed for you because once again, just like holiness and repentance last week, yeah, there's words that have so much church baggage to them and I'm like, Satan, you just can't have those words because they're too good. So they don't need to be forgotten, they need to be redeemed. Truth is the same way. Truth is not this oppressive weight and burden on your shoulders. Truth is a North Star that cares about you finding your way. In a noisy world, in a, a busy life, in confusing existence, truth is for you. I was talking to my friend Ryan last week, not my college buddy Ryan. Um, 
my friend Ryan, I was asking him about his job. We were in mid-conversation. Uh, he's a police officer. And I said, this was just like five days ago, and I caught myself because mid-sentence, and I had this conversation with a, another police officer a couple weeks ago where I said, it's one heck of a time to be a pastor. And then I realized it is one heck of a time to be a police officer who is working tirelessly to keep us safe and, 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 and fight for good. And I'm praying for you and police officers, we are praying for you. I was, I was mid-conversation when Ryan, he said something that, that just hit me and has haunted me for five days. He said, my observations from the front line, if you want one, there is a noticeable month to month decline in morality right now. Because when there's no truth except for what you feel and you define what's right and what's wrong, the outcome is not liberation as the brochure promises, it's bondage, it's chaos. Apart from the source, there is no light, there is only darkness. An upside down culture will tell us, man, there's, there's no such thing as absolute truth and claiming absolute truth is, is arrogant. There's no such thing, I mean, it's all relative. That's true for you, this is true for me, but if everybody's right, nobody is right. Tim Keller says it this way, to say there is no absolute truth is an absolute. In other words, you can't say there's no truth because that would have to be true. But man, we try. It's like the gambler's dilemma. We keep getting into more debt and we keep just doubling down on this. Let's, let's keep preaching from an upside down brochure in a hyper individualistic culture, man, that, that uh, all truth is relative and any claim of absolute truth is just oppressive and salvation is you getting away from that as soon as you possibly can. I mean, I love like even when, when angry people say all truth claims are power plays, they just made a, a truth claim and saying all truth plays, all truth claims are, are, are power plays. This is, and, and it's called, it's called arrogance. It's called just to, to claim there is, a, there is a source of truth that is greater than me, that is not me, by the way. And it's commonly painted, there's a, there's a parable called the elephant and the, the blind men, where the blind men show up and they're all feeling different parts of the elephant and they're all trying to describe and explain what, what full truth, what an elephant is. And so one of them is feeling the side of the elephant and he says, I, I, know what, I know what an elephant is, it's like a wall. But then another one has got one of the legs and goes, no it's not, an elephant's like a, a tree trunk, what are you talking about? And then the third guy's got the tail and goes, you guys are both nuts, like an elephant's like a vine and smells terrible, that's what an elephant, an elephant is. And, and that's kind of painting a picture of, okay, here's some major world religions, including Christianity. All of them have a small portion and a small piece of what is ultimately true, but nobody has the full thing. And it sounds humble, it sounds good, but follow me, the only way that parable works is if the narrator of the story is the one guy who can see the whole elephant and nobody else can. I see the full thing, that's how I know that you only have part of it. Nobody has the full truth. Everybody just has a piece of it, which is actually the most arrogant position that you can take because it assumes you're the only one who's not blind. Saying all truth claims are power plays. Well, it depends on the truth claim. 
My point is this, what if, what if a truth claim showed up as, as a person dressed in grace? Grace who is the way, the truth, and the life. Grace who is living and breathing and walking and talking truth. What if grace showed up not just as a concept? What if truth showed up not just as a, a list of rules, but what if it showed up as a person to know? That's why God being the one transcendent source of truth is not only logical, you guys, it's, it's liberating. When everybody would tell you, oh, it's, uh, that's oppressive and what you need to be saved from is this reality that you need to be saved and come and figure it out on your own. Once again, if there, there was evidence of that working, I wouldn't be up here preaching about this. This is liberation, this is, you know why? Because ultimate truth is good. It's a God who, you ever thought about that? God didn't have to be good, but he is. And so there's trust that happens here and there's logic in one source of it. Okay, we gotta keep going. We grow, point number two, when truth confronts our traditions. There's a scene in Luke 22 where Jesus is getting close to the end of his life and him and the boys are heading back to Jerusalem and he's with his disciples and then Jesus says this to them in verse 36. He said, this is different, you guys. Get ready for trouble. Look to what you'll need. There are difficult times ahead. Pawn your coat and get your sword. I wonder what he means by that. What was written in scripture he was lumped in with the criminals, gets its final meaning in me. Everything written about me is now coming to a conclusion. And they said, look, master, I love this. Look, Jesus, two swords right here. And my question is, where do they get those swords so fast? Jesus isn't even done with his sentence. Jesus, got him. I got my sword. He had that ready to go. But Jesus said, enough with that. No more sword talk. He says, guys, that's not, that's not what I meant I'm kind of speaking metaphorically, that is not, and, and, and the truth of Jesus is about to confront these guys' traditions, okay? Because we all have them. We all have traditions and constructs and paradigms and ideals, and we filter, what we do is we filter the teachings of Jesus through them. When the teachings of Jesus were actually meant to disrupt, we filter his teachings through our Traditions, and so we have childhood traditions we grew up with. You know, my dad, he always, he always said, or my mom always taught me this about those people. We have childhood traditions, we have church traditions, which are great until, and this happens so quickly, we start to elevate our method over even the sacred message. We start to make that ultimate, and then, so there's, there's church traditions, there's also just cultural traditions. It was so weird to me the very first time I ever deeply thought about the reality that Jesus is not American. He's not, by the way. And think on that for a little bit this week. We filter Jesus through our cultural constructs and our, our personal paradigms. For instance, our Western culture that we live in, I love it. It's so geared towards success and, and achievement and you better work as hard as you can to be all that you can be. This is ingrained and built into us from kindergarten and I actually, I love it. I think that's a great thing. Everything has a shadow side. I think that's a beautiful thing about our country. But then, but then we take those cultural constructs and we go read the word of God. We open up to Matthew 5 and we read a word called blessed. 
blessed are you when? And we go, I know what he means. I'm gonna get that raise. I'm gonna climb that ladder. I'm gonna get that job. That new car is mine. And we, we filter the teachings of Jesus. We, we set our expectations of God based on the values we were taught. And sometimes, yeah, and, and God cares about your raise. All I'm saying is when Jesus says, hashtag blessed, he's speaking of internal riches, regardless of whether or not you, you get the, your definition of external success. Simply put, we think Jesus sees life through our filters. So we take our ideals to the words of Jesus and we, we hear what we want to hear or what we expect to hear or what we think we're supposed to hear. And we read scripture and go, we, we, see, we see the psalm that says, delight in me and I will give you the desires of your heart. And we go, oh, I know what he means. Follow your heart. If, if I feel it, it's true. He's gonna do it. Wait a second. So the disciples would have grown up in a culture that taught them one day the Messiah will come and when he does, he will be the general in this army that leads to a physical overthrowing of the Roman Empire and restore the sovereignty of, of Israel once and for all. And so Jesus, so these guys grew up with that tradition, that paradigm, that filter. So Jesus says, guys, get your swords. And immediately, Jesus, right here. But it's interesting, like where in the last three years of following Jesus around, did he ever hint at anything that would resemble, hey guys, one day we're gonna grab our weapons and start killing people. With all the talk of a wooden cross and now these guys are pulling out iron swords and Jesus goes, guys, where'd you get, you've been secretly just carrying those around for three years? I'm talking about something else, a different battle against different principalities. This is not as simple as your, um, we're the good guys, they're the bad guys narrative. But they, they heard what they expected to hear, what they wanted to hear. Jesus, when you say sword, don't you, don't you mean what I want you to mean? Can we do this now? Don't you mean what my dad said you would mean? You grow when you let truth challenge and confront your traditions. Test me and see if there's anything in me that does not line up with this ultimate truth. Like we should be changing and growing all the time. The person who wrote in your yearbook, never change, that was, that was sweet, but it was terrible advice. Like I hope, I hope you're different. God, Jesus did not save you so you could stay the same. I hope you're, I feel like as, as followers of Jesus, we should have more and more of those times where we go, oh my gosh, remember when I used to think that? Hey, I was wrong about that. Hey, the thing I said about those people or about, about God or when, remember when I, when I thought that and I, hey, that was my bad. I, I want you to know I've grown and I was wrong about that. My goodness, that is so kingdom sexy to me. Like, can we normalize that? Can we turn upside down stubbornness into right side up humility so our kids grow up thinking it's just normal to do that and be able to say, hey, I, I was wrong and I'm, I'm trying to grow so I'm letting, I'm letting the truth of the God of everything confront my traditions and my ideals. Because here's the thing, guys, for every single one of us, every person listening to this online, uh, this is true for every Christian theologian denomination. Are you ready? Hope you're ready. All of us, me, you, right now, in real time, believe something about God that's wrong. Not different, wrong. 
Not relative to, it's, it's wrong. It's everything wrong? No, but you got the something wrong. We're all in the process of growing. All of us believe something about how the world works and it's wrong. Right now, you believe something about, uh, it's a negative thing about some person in your life. You, you witnessed one bad moment and you took a Polaroid snapshot of it and you pinned it to the corkboard in your brain and you concluded this is who they are, this is their substance, and you are wrong. You're wrong. All of us believe something about politics and it's wrong. And if you disagree with that, I would, like so quickly, I would just say, Check your heart on that because maybe you made God in your image and not the other way around. Let me ask you this. When was the last time the maker of everything got to disagree with you on something? Or does he agree with everything that you believe and say and, and do? When was the last time you let, you let, like would you hear him if he was trying to realign you or disagree with you or, or call you out? Like, I mean, if he's not interrupting your regularly scheduled program on a fairly regular basis, I'm like, are you walking in relationship with him or are you making him in your image? Because he should. We grow when we let truth confront our traditions, amen? Because once again, it is not an oppressive weight on your shoulders. It is a North Star that cares about you finding your way. Last point, team, you can come up. We live free when we make God's truth our ultimate authority. In 1981, Harvard professor Samuel Huntington wrote a book called American Politics, where he claimed historically, roughly every 60 years, America goes through something that he called a moral convulsion. So all the way from the Revolutionary War to the Civil War, all the way to the Civil Rights Movement, and then 41 years ago in 1981, he predicted the next moral convulsion will begin somewhere right around 2020. So we are living in a time of moral convulsion and narratives being rewritten and much of it is necessary. Wrongs are, are being righted, old evils exposed. Um, but every time, new evils quietly seep in. This is when we are most vulnerable to it. There's a very deceiving shadow side to all the, the noble parts of all of it. And, and I believe with all my heart, it has to do with the location of truth and where we're told it is. Tim Keller is a pastor in New York City and he, he, he makes the, the point that for previous generations, truth was this ultimate reality, something bigger, something transcendent, something above us and beyond us and outside of us, whether it's, it's God or your family or dying for your country or sacrifice, whatever it is, truth is outside of us, discover it and then align yourself to it. But that narrative has since flipped and, and now goes like this. All truth is relative and all truth is inside of you Find yours, make everybody else accommodate to it. So that might be your truth, but this is mine, and that might be God's truth, but, but this is mine, and 
In other words, you don't need a savior. You need to be saved from the fact that you need a savior. That's the, that's the oppressive weight that is kind of holding you down here. But the more, the more that you, it promises the, king, the, the kingdom without the king. So forget Jesus, forget this ultimate truth source. We, we got this. I mean, this is post-enlightenment thinking. A lot of good came from the enlightenment in the 17th century, but it also took, took humanity's eyes off of the divine and onto itself for the very first time, and we were not created to function or live well that way at all. And, and what you do is you, the more you think that way, you start to put yourself, and I'm not saying this is on purpose, it sounds right, but you start to put yourself more and more at the center of your universe. And that is no way to live. I actually believe that leads to like a personal hell because you're not very good at being God and neither am I. And I don't have to know you to know that. You don't have to know me to know that either. But once again, it's being, it's being kind of preached to us, hey, to say there's some ultimate form of truth out there is oppressive, so escape it at all costs. And, and that's, that's, that's prideful. And I read scripture and I go, well, well, wait a second. So the world's narrative, our culture's narrative right now is whatever you feel, just do. Whatever you believe, I mean, that's fine. Rewrite right and wrong for yourself. Like you determine this, you be the God of your life. You sit on the throne, you be at the center of this universe because if you feel it, well then that's true and you do you and, me, and, and that's, that's humble. And meanwhile, the scripture narrative, I go, so th- what I'm saying is there's a, there's a transcendent truth and this ultimate creator God out there. And, and I'm saying, let me come beneath that and submit to that and line up with that and, and sacrifice for it. Even if God ruins all of my plans and even when I disagree with some of it or don't fully understand to still stay beneath it and say, God, it's your way and not my, your will and not my, and that, that's prideful. I mean, that has Jesus on the throne all over it to me. Man, the more that relative, the more that truth becomes relative, it's like the more anxious everybody's getting. I want you to like, I want that to like start looking for that. The more we believe, man, truth's relative and it's in me, the more anxious everybody is getting because it becomes unstable. It's like, a, it's like we're standing on sand. It's like, and once again, that's what makes Jesus, this truth so good is there's, there's actually a God who wants to be a rocky, like a foundation of rock, for a, a, an anchor for you as a boat out at sea in a storm lost a North Star that is calling you, is calling you home. Because man, when you put yourself on the, the throne of your heart, you find out when push comes to shove, I, I actually hate this job and this is not what I signed up for. Pilate, Pontius Pilate finds that out. Jesus comes back to Jerusalem, he gets arrested and, and, uh, and now, and Jesus, who is ultimate truth, Pilate, who is a governor in Rome and, and represents ultimate truth for Rome. But now he's standing face to face with the one who actually is. And Jesus says, everybody who is for truth is for me. I came to testify to it. I am living, breathing, walking truth. And Pilate kind of, you know, questions him a little bit. And I kind of feel bad for him because he's realized, I think he realizes there's a reason it takes him so long to condemn Jesus. And he can't even make the decision. He tells, he tells the Jews to go make the decision. Because I think at the end of the day, he goes, I don't like this job right now. 
I don't think this is my role right now. He questions Jesus on, aren't you the king of the Jews? And Jesus, um, <laughs> when Pilate says, don't you know I have the power to crucify you? That'll get God to talk. Jesus said, you have no power, but what is given to you from above. I'm about to go get crucified. But if you think you had anything, you think that, you think that you're driving the car right now? Pontius Pilate, like in a funny, ironic turn of events, you're not the pilot here, Pontius. This is not you, like this is the plan and purpose and love of a, of a God who, who knew about this moment since before the foundations of the world were even, were even formed. This is, this is the God who is grace and truth. And so, so truth is for you, just like grace is. And if you ever doubt it, you picture Jesus and what he left he left that, that platform with Pilate and he walked straight into 20 hours of being brutally beaten and tortured and spat on and mocked before he was nailed to a cross and crucified while he was praying for those who were, who were crucifying. I mean, guys, this is, for all the distrust and ultimate truth, this is who truth is. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and what he chose to do was put on skin and bone come as a light into a dark world and do the unthinkable so that we could go free. This, by the way, is the truth that you are invited to align with, the truth that is an anchor for your boat, the truth that is a North Star. Man, truth is, is, a, is a, a loving father scanning the horizons on his front porch waiting for his kid to come home. Because that's the prodigal son story, man. He went, he, he left to live his truth. He left because, it, like, man, I feel this. This is me. I'm going to do this. This is my story, too. Had a beautiful moment where he comes to the end of himself, and he realizes, actually, I think truth is, is home. So let me just go. Let me just go home. And, man, I, I love our testimony videos that are, you know, because this is mine. The, the sort of sex, drug, drugs, and rock and roll testimony videos where there's rebellion and there's I tried it my way and maybe, maybe a, a rock bottom and then had this beautiful moment where I came back to God. And that is so beautiful. What, a, what an amazing story that shows off God in so many ways. All I'm saying is I am really I'm hungry to see more testimony videos of young men and women who go, you know what? I just kind of took him at his word. I just kind of stayed home. I just kind of try this his way. I just kind of humbled myself and I stayed beneath this. And even in moments where I disagreed or wasn't so sure and couldn't see what God saw, like I just, and he was so right. I avoided so much pain and baggage. Like I just, I live free. He is a person. He is grace and truth. And the more you yield to it, the more you come home, the more you begin to live free. Amen. Guys, will you stand? As we're about to sing some, some words called the pride of a father and in the light of his mercy, in the light of his son, you discover who you really are. And so as we even sing about these lyrics that portray God in such a beautiful way, I want you to, whether you're singing or just listening and letting, letting words just wash over your soul, just remember and, and maybe Use your imagination and picture that uh, this father that we're describing, that's who truth is. He is safe. He is good. 
You can trust him. You can come home. The pride of a father. So Jesus, we love you. Thank you for being so good. Thank you for being the North Star. Jesus, I just, yeah. I don't have words. I just ask in Jesus' name that your supernatural God factor presence would come and just maybe redeem religious sounding words or rewrite upside down narratives and just make us want more of you, our ultimate transcendent source of truth guiding us home, amen.